0: Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In his profound and exhilarating new book, When the Stars Begin to Fall, Overcoming Racism and Renewing the Promise of America, author, scholar, and former U.S. Navy Commander Theodore Johnson persuasively argues that racism is both alive and healthy in our country and a profound, even existential threat to its democracy. Happily, however, Johnson doesn't leave it there. Weaving memories of his and his family's multi-generational experiences with racism alongside strands of U.S. history, Johnson makes a persuasive case that we can still find a blueprint for national solidarity in the exceptional citizenship long practiced in Black America. Right after the release of the book, I got a chance to sit down with Johnson and learn why, despite our many challenges, he remains optimistic about the American experiment. Well, Ted Johnson, welcome to News and Views. Thanks so much for being with us. So happy to be
1: here. Thanks for having me.
0: So the new book, When the Stars Begin to Fall, Overcoming Racism and Renewing the Promise of America. Give us a little thumbnail sketch of why you decided to write this book and what's sort of the basic message you're trying to convey.
1: So the basic reason I wrote the book was because I felt like there needed to be a book that spoke about the problems and challenges racism presents to country in a way that still feels patriotic. And, and aspirational and hopeful. And so I didn't want to write a doomsday scenario about how racism was going to doom us all. And I didn't want to write some Pollyanna-ish, you know, uh, very flowery ode to American progress that just sort of footnotes, oh, by the way, racism has been a problem. <laughs> I, I wanted to sort of merge the two binaries that we see too much in, in, uh, in on bookshelves today to suggest that we can have a patriotic discussion about how we have fallen short as a nation and how racism has been And the primary area where those shortfalls have harmed people and still uh, continues to plague us.
0: That said, you you don't soft pedal it. You may make it clear that you think this is an existential threat to the American promise in many important ways that racism
1: is. That's exactly right. You know, with all the hope and optimism that goes into the book and hopefully comes out of it when readers finish, I do not avoid the truth. Uh, I tell some hard truths, some ugly truths about our country and our history and suggest that if we don't address them, that we risk the entire project, the entire democracy, the well-being of not just the nation, and its, but its citizens, and we risk proving the idea that we say we were founded on to be nothing more than flowery rhetoric and not something that really guides how we interact with one another or what we want for our country. So I do believe that it's possible for a nation state like the United States to persist, even if racism continues and even worsens, because the we have had a nation where racism was extremely bad. But I also say that the idea we were created on, that we're all created equal, that we have these unalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that the government derives its power from the consent of the governed, none of those things can coexist with racial inequality. So the choice is now before us and what, what remains. And if we choose the easy route, we risk proving the idea to be, again, just a superficial proclamation, or we can prove to be the people that made the unattainable actually real, which is to say, to, to create a nation where a multiracial egalitarian society is the thing that exists.
0: Another point you make is that that You characterize it more that racism more as a crime of the state, not necessarily a crime that's embedded in people's hearts, although I suppose it is embedded in some people's hearts. But that what you're about here is is addressing public policy and addressing changes that we can tangible changes we can really make rather than trying to get into the deep psychology of every individual.
1: That's exact, exactly right. There probably is a way to change the hearts and minds of every person in the country to be not racist. That is a long-term project that requires a lot of resources uh, that that I don't think exist, frankly. I, I don't know if humankind is possible to exist without some kind of discrimination. So there's an old public policy maxim that says to be hard on structures, and be soft on people. And that's what this book does. It it essentially says that racism is something that the state has allowed to perpetuate in our structures. And that the way to get out of this is through public policy. And with good public policy and principled people implementing this policy, then people's hearts and minds will begin to change because we will create a society where explicit racism and even the sort of the racist byproducts of other endeavors are unacceptable, are shameful. And the acceptable way to belong in society is to be a constructive member of it, which contributes to the dismantling of the effects of racism. So this is a book uh, about how we can craft public policy by bringing people together and making demands on the nation state in order to create a society that's more egalitarian, And also in the long run to change people's hearts and minds and to behave more like the idea of America and less like a selfish American who wants to hoard as much of the country for themselves to the exclusion of others.
0: We're talking with author, scholar, former U.S. Navy commander Theodore Roosevelt Johnson about his new book, When the Stars Begin to Fall, Overcoming Racism and Renewing the Promise of America. One of the points you make in the book, and we talked about this in a conversation that we hosted a while back, Ted, is the question of colorblindness. The notion that, um, you know, I I myself give uh, lectures or talks sometimes and I'm confronted by often by white people who say, Tell me how our state laws aren't already colorblind. Isn't that the objective? And I have friends and acquaintances who are Black. I'm colorblind. Isn't that, you know, once we've achieved that, everything else takes care of itself. And I, I think you have a pretty compelling response to that.
1: Yeah, it's, and it's a complicated one because it used to be the case that there were people who wanted a colorblind society and then there were racists. And so pick your side. Are you racist or do you think (laughs) colorblind is the way to go? And of course, good people say a colorblind society is preferable. But when we talk about both policy and our history, colorblind policy doesn't undo the damage that history has done. And so if we want to have a society that is egalitarian, then we have to meet people where they are, which means we have to take into account their different group histories, their different group experiences, different group conditions, which means color conscious approaches are a better fit, because now we can take into consideration more elements of the group whose problems we're looking to address, and then uh, tailor public policy to those challenges. If we gave everyone the same thing, that might feel good to us, it might be colorblind, but it doesn't actually solve problems among a diverse group of people with a diverse set of problems. The example I've I've been giving of recent is around education. If you have a poor white community in the hills of Appalachia or the mountains of North Carolina and a a poor black community in inner city Baltimore, and their, their school systems of both these communities are not turning out good students or have poor educational outcomes, To just say we're going to give increased funding for standardized testing prep for both communities will not address the needs of either of those communities. They have different histories, different populations, different skill sets, different troubles, different teachers and school systems and tax structures and all of these things. So you have to take into consideration the location, the people, the community, the experiences and the history, which means you have to take into account race. The other thing I'll say very quickly is often... (laughs) Um, When people say color-conscious approach or race-conscious approach, they interpret that to mean quotas for a certain group of people or that race is the main factor when we think about how to address problems. Color-conscious means you're aware that different racial groups may have different histories and different experiences, and that awareness means you tailor your public policy to those communities. It doesn't mean that you have a box of goodies And you determine what's the color of your skin. Okay, you can get goodies. And because you're you have the wrong color skin, you cannot. So when we pull out from that, we'll see that color conscious approaches that still align to our principles of equality and freedom and liberty and opportunity. Then we'll see we're actually closer to promoting and creating the America that we want instead of uh, being further away from it.
0: The author we've just been speaking with is Theodore Roosevelt Johnson III. Ted Johnson, his powerful, eloquent, and ultimately hopeful book is When the Stars Begin to Fall, Overcoming Racism and Renewing the Promise of America. Ted, thanks so much for joining us. We uh, look forward to talking to you again. And uh, we urge all of our listeners to check this book out. They can find it online and all the usual places.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncpolicywatch.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries on Apple Podcasts. Producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views. A weekly look at state and policy issues is a production of North Carolina Policy Watch. Visit them online at ncpolicywatch.com.